Welcome into a trade deadline edition of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host here, JJ Jerez, for a quick podcast for you to break down the Avalanche trade deadline moves. Of course, with me, Arif Dean, and uh, we're here in a empty ball arena right now, a couple hours. I guess not completely empty, a couple people filing in here, but two and a half hours before the game and just uh, shortly after Joe Sackick's press conference here, which we'll get to. But uh, a lot of interesting things said in uh, Joe Sackett. You know, he used to be a man of little words, right? Quoteless Joe. But He's you really, so fun to talk to now. You just Yeah, now you just sit down and listen to him. You kind of can, I guess, surmise your own opinions from just what he says and, and kind of read between the lines. It's a lot of fun to hear Joe Sackett speak. But what's up, Arif? How was your trade deadline day? I know it's been chaos for kind of <laughs> hockey media everywhere. How did you spend your day? That was great. I, I woke up at 5.45 in the morning to watch TSN start their stream at 6 a.m. It is now 5 o'clock p.m. We're obviously here getting ready for this game. It's going to be a long Monday here at Ball Arena. But uh, 7.30 start, too. That extra half an hour is just going to be a killer. Um, but, yeah, watching the TSN stuff starting at 6 a.m. Mountain Time. Uh, headed out for morning skate around 10 a.m. Morning skate started at 10.30 Finished that, talked to Jared Bedner. We talked to Nico Sturm. He was a pleasant surprise as well. Great interview, just like Josh Manson yesterday. And then we hung around as trades were broken. The Cogliano deal, the Lekkonen deal, and then Joe Sackick spoke. And here we are. It's It's been a day. Yeah, I got to uh, jump around. I think I dabbled in a little bit of everybody's trade deadline broadcast today i got to start my day with tsn yeah, and not I, everybody's got nhl network buddy yeah it, it was crazy though <laughs> I, I, I went tsn and then i went Sportsnet, and at one point i had them both going at the same time and then i got to jump over to espn's version and then i watched nhl network's version just a, a, a ton of hockey content from a lot of the same guys but it's just good to see the different ways they each approach it i mean sportsnet had a ton of interviews right they had a ton of guys that were just traded from across the league like i, I got to hear from hamannick and lindholm uh fresh off their trades. so i uh, just great content all around from the powers that be i guess in the hockey media world they all crushed it today i think yeah the mvp of the trade deadline in 2022 is the awkward selfie videos of kevin weeks <laughs> those are just great i don't know where he decided to start doing those but those were a lot of fun this year so that Everybody's was that was a new it, thing yeah Everybody's it started it. it started with the josh manson trade today's monday it's been a week since the josh manson deal i was sitting somewhere in a gym when the josh manson trade broke i remember tweeting about it and writing my article from a bench press while seven people are waiting on me to get the hell off the bench so they could take it over and this was because i saw a video of kevin weeks going yeah the avalanche have traded for josh manson and they're giving up prospect hellison i don't know where he decided to start doing them but those were fun yeah i mean that's the kind of simple idea that gets him a lot of exposure that people are eating up right just simple video content not overthinking yeah. it just about doing it i, I yeah. love the the, the Hockey Mountain process. High Instagram page should learn a thing or two from Kevin Yeah, Weeks. we're working. It's a work in progress. You know, <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. We're figuring <laughs> it out as we go. We'll get better, we promise. But um, you mentioned Josh Manson. And yesterday we got the chance to have a Sunday practice. It was very leisurely, very good energies in that building. It felt like uh, the Avs were working hard at practice. Jared Bednard was relieved to actually get some practice time and help work on some things. And we got to meet Josh Manson. Now, how awesome was that press conference with Josh what Manson? An I mean, amazing interview. I don't think I've ever seen the entire media room all look at each other and be like, wow, that guy yeah. was awesome. And the laughs and the jokes. He was asked about his dad fighting Paul McDermott, Curtis McDermott's dad once upon a time. And he went, wait, really? Is, is his dad as big as Dermy is? 
And then there was the question about Kel McCarr, uh, that, you know, how, 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 how good does Kel McCarr look from the bench? And he goes, you know, you got to start picking your spots when you talk to him, because every time he got off the ice, I'm looking at him like, Hey, good shift. Hey, good shift. Hey, good shift. And I realized I was doing it every single time because every time he's on the ice, he was just, he was so fun to talk to. He told the story about how he almost quit hockey when he was a kid and his mom's like, no chance, buddy. You're not quitting hockey for snowboarding. He was just such a fun quote, such a natural interview. He was so much fun. Yeah, 100%. And I think what I liked most about him was, I think it was you that asked him the question, but just saying how he can't wait to play playoff hockey again because of how much it suits his style. And he he described his own style as in-your-face style right mm-hmm. and I was like I love that I can't wait to see that in your face style and uh, I just love that agitation type player right it reminds me of old Danny Hynote and how pivotal he was while kind of playing a subtle role within the team he was still big on uh, you know making making an impact on those championship teams well yeah speaking of in your face style in a different way let's let's talk about the big acquisition today I know people are here listening to, to, to learn about the trades the Avalanche made today. The one from Montreal is the big one, definitely. Yep, absolutely. So let's get into it. Arturi Lekkonen, um, and the Avalanche had to pay a little bit of a price for this one, right? But it's not all bad news. It's not uh, something to be sad about, but it is tough to see another defenseman go. We saw Drew Hellison go at the beginning of last week. Now we're seeing Justin Barron on the way out. Yeah, um, I mean, this was kind of going to be the situation all along when the avalanche were going into this trade deadline you knew that their two big pieces were drew hellison and justin Barron, and there was going to be a chance that both of them were going to get traded um i thought one of them would be included in a claude Giroux trade and i promise you if a claude Giroux trade happened one of them would have been going the other way to philadelphia um but you know what man let's let's go back to what we said the other day this is the time to make those trades this is this is when it is this is the time to do it. This is the time we talked about it last time. Robin Regeer was a former Avalanche draft pick. Keith Ballard was a former Avalanche draft pick. Tom Gilbert, Samuel Paulson, the very, very famous third line with Rob Niedermeyer and Travis Moen that won the cup for Anaheim, also was an Avalanche draft pick. These are this is the time to trade and and send the farm out for players that can help you win a cup. And I promise you that's that's where this team is in a seven. It was just the Avalanche have sucked for more than a decade now that we're so used to holding on to prospects that now like letting go of big name prospects feels so weird. But it's what needs to be done, but it's well worth it for this guy. Yeah, I mean, how great is it that they're bringing in four players for the lineup when really having lost only one? In the entire process. So, I mean, you gained a lot and lost very little. That's definitely the sign of what a contender does. Yeah, and that's kind of the big thing that Joe Sackick mentioned uh, in his post-game presser. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say a lot of people. I'm going to say me specifically. There was a lot of talk of maybe get rid of both Comfort and Jost in separate deals. But Joe made a good point. You know, he's he's not in the business of subtracting. He's in the business of adding players right now. And, you know, the Tyson-Jost one was what it was. And I think if it wasn't for the salary cap, I don't think they make the move like that. I think they keep Jost as an extra forward. But given what they needed to do and given the fact that they're not even in LTIR now because they unloaded Jost's contract for a guy like Nico Stern making league minimum, uh, they're going to be fine to uh, they're going to be fine to, you know, have Landis come off of come off of the injury reserve whenever he's healthy and the only player that they lost off the current roster is Tyson Jost, and as much as he's loved in Colorado, if there was a guy off of the roster that you can subtract without it being that big of a hit, that's the guy. It's between him and maybe, what, Darren Helm? But Darren was brought in for a reason, and that's his playoff prowess and the fact that he's got that experience. And, uh, you know, you're, just, you're not going to trade him at this point. So 
you know, wonderful job by Joe Sackick to kind of go through those cap gymnastics to make sure that you get Manson and Lekkinen at 50% retained. And uh, you give up Tyson Jones for a player that can play his role and potentially do it better and be a good faceoff guy for over a million dollars less than what Tyson was making. And we mentioned this on the last podcast, and it's not exactly a news-breaking take or a hot take or by any means, but I think it deserves recognition. The fact that Joe Sackick was obviously going after a certain type of player in this trade deadline, right? He took a look at this team. He listened to Hockey Mountain High, <laughs> your go-to Avalanche podcast, plenty of times, and he said, you know what? You're right. We have to get tougher. This be- this team, as it is, is not built to succeed in the playoffs. We got to build it as so, and I mean, there's a common theme with all four players they're bringing in. Tough, hard-nosed, tough to play against, good defensive hockey. So what Joe Sackick was looking for is exactly what Nico Sturm said today in his post-game, his pre-game media availability this morning. He said, I'm a tough player to play against, but I'm not a tough player to play against in the sense where I'm going to knock someone into the third row. I'm tough to take off the puck. I'm aggressive on the puck. So those are the kind of guys you want. This goes back to the Blake Coleman's and the Barclay Goudreau's. That's what everybody wants now is how do we get to replicate what Tampa Bay did at the trade deadline a few years ago to win them two cups. Artery Lekkinen is that kind of player. Josh Manson can actually hit you into the third row. That's a different story. But Nico Sturm is tough to take off the puck. Artery Lekkinen is tough to take off the puck. He's a pesky little guy. That Dan Hynote game you were playing, subtract the fights from Dan Hynote's career, add some more skill. That's what you're going to get in Artery Lekkinen 20 years later. He's that kind of a player, and he's going to be a fan favorite pretty damn quick. And we're going to be seeing a lot of number 62s in the crowd, assuming he sticks with that number. And then Andrew Cogliano, if you don't remember, think back to the 2020 playoffs. He was on that line, and I, I'm not even going to try to pretend to remember what that line consisted of. There was three guys, and Cogliano was one of them. It was Dallas's third line, and they were rock solid against the Avalanche in that bubble playoff series. And here he is now chugging along. He's had a better season with San Jose this year than he did with Dallas last year, and you know he's going to be a depth piece as well. When the Avalanche are healthy, he might not even be part of the main 13, but he as well is a pesky tough to play against type of player in the modern NHL. Yeah, absolutely. He strikes me as a guy that might be scratched more often than not, but he also brings a lot to the table with his 1,122 games played in the NHL. And as you brought up was on that Dallas stars playoff run to the final, as was Arturi Lekkanen with last year with Montreal. So I think I like that theme about the two acquisitions from today is that they both have gone deep in the uh, NHL playoffs, know what that looks like, know what it takes, and they've done it recently. Yeah, and for Archery Lekkonen's sake, this is uh, everybody's favorite thing about him is he was the guy that scored the game-winning goal in Game 6 against the Vegas Golden Knights in the playoffs last year in June. And uh, to send Montreal to the Stanley Cup final, it was an overtime game, and that was the guy that sent them to the final. So Lekkonen's got a little bit of Stanley Cup final pedigree in him, and uh, I'm excited to see him you know, when he comes in and joins the Avalanche. What I love about Lekkanen and for Andre, uh, Andrew, I should say, Cogliano for that case, is neither of them is even 180 pounds. Cogliano is 5'10", 179. Lekkanen is listed at 5'11", 179. And both of them are just pesky, good, in-your-face players that are just going to piss off the opposition every chance they get. And those are the kind of guys. Think JT Comfort. Think, if you can remember way back to 2010, TJ Galliardi against the San Jose Sharks in that series. 
those really annoying players. You need those guys to win cups. And the Tampa Bay Lightning have a ton of them. You've seen them kind of develop more from like this babyface loving team to like a heel where everybody hates the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's because of people that play that kind of game. Braden Point does it. Uh, Sorelli does it. And then obviously Gord and Coleman and Goudreau and all these guys. So the Avalanche, you know, while they didn't go out there and get the big name, I will actually argue that Josh Manson is a pretty damn big name when you consider the defenseman that moved this year and the type of minutes he plays. This isn't a Patrick Nemeth acquisition. Um, they didn't go out there and get the big name. They didn't get the Claude Giroux. They didn't trade for some crazy random Kuznetsov or Timo Meyer or Brock Besser or whatever, any kind of JT Miller. But they got exactly what they need and they shored up their depth big time. And they add it to a team that's first place in the NHL, man. They've won a lot of games for a reason, and that's because they're a good team. And all they did to that good team was add, 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 and only subtract one, and it was their fourth-line center. Absolutely. And anybody who has listened to this podcast for a long time, even before you got here, and even since you've got here, knows how many times we've hammered the idea that the Anaheim Ducks were just a team that has what it takes to beat the Colorado Avalanche, right? They've always had one, that recipe. They're just yeah. one of those teams. And so bringing on a guy like Josh Manson from the Ducks, Andrew Cogliano, who was a teammate of Josh Manson's on the Ducks for five for so years. so many years, yeah. Really helps kind of rewrite the strategy and I guess the mindset of that depth how, group in, in the locker room. For how many years was it that when the Avalanche go to California, that was just three losses? Mm -hmm. You go to Anaheim, you get your ass kicked. As you recover from that, you go into San Jose, they beat the shit out of you. And as you recover from that, here's the LA Kings to grind you into the wall. Like, it was just tough, tough, tough. So the Avalanche are picking up those kind of pieces. And, you know, Josh Manson's been a big part of that. And that 2018 playoff run that the Anaheim Ducks went on, this is another question I asked Josh yesterday, was... The Anaheim Ducks in 2018, they went three rounds deep. They, they went through the first round. I believe they beat Nashville... No, Nashville was the third round where they lost. But in the second round, they beat Edmonton and Connor McDavid in a crazy seven-game series. And Josh Manson played a lot of minutes that year. And, you know, he was part of that Anaheim Ducks team with Ryan Kessler and Ryan Getzlov and guys like that that play that tough, in-your-face style. And um, now he's going to bring that game to the Avalanche, and it's exactly what they've been lacking. Let's look at the, uh, the I guess not the return, what the Avalanche had to sacrifice for Andrew Cogliano. What... Uh... Break break that down for us. I know it wasn't the biggest asking price because he is, you know, much older up there in age and a lot of games yep. played, a lot of miles on it. Simply, on simply a fifth round draft pick in twenty twenty four. Not even this year. Not even ne like twenty twenty four. Who cares? This is a depth forward. This is a forward that look the the biggest thing with the Avalanche last year compared to this year. It's, and I just sent out a tweet. Not a lot of people are happy with me for putting Ryan Murray ahead of Eric Johnson, but I promise you, I'm not sitting here looking at this like. I think people are kind of missing the point of the lineup as if I was doing a depth chart thing where it's going to be okay. EJ is ahead of Murray. However, if fully healthy, this is what the Avalanche's lineup could look like. The top line is what we know it to be. The second line is what we know it to be with Nachushkin. Third line of left wing Lekkonen, center Newhook, right wing Comfer. Fourth line of Darren Helm, center Nico Sturm, right wing Logan O'Connor. And then your extra forwards are Andrew Cogliano and Nicholas Obey-Kubel. Cogliano's the guy that we're talking and raving about. Abe Kubel's the guy that's been in and out of it's been in the lineup since he got here and has been a damn good player in doing so. So what you have here is depth. What you have here is when things are going rough in the playoffs, when you're getting shut down by the Vegas Golden Knights game after game after game, 
you can switch things up and insert somebody into the lineup and know that they would actually help you. You could insert somebody like Andrew Cogliano. You can move things around. You can bring in Abe Kubel, these spark plug players. This is what they were lacking last year. And then on defense, if fully healthy, and that includes Bowen Byram, you got Taves and Makar. You got Gerard and Manson. I put Murray and Byram as a third pair just based off of how good Murray's been playing lately. It is not a sign of disrespect to Eric Johnson. I'm just talking about how good Murray's playing. But realistically, it would likely be Eric Johnson and Byram. And then Ryan Murray... Jack Johnson and Curtis McDermott are your extra defensemen. That's a lot of depth. Let's go back to what I've been saying all year. No more Keaton Middletons. No more Kyle Burrows. No more Patrick Nemeth at the deadline and just a terrible return for him after his first stint with the Avalanche. You have actual depth. You have guys that can come into the lineup and play when you need a spark plug for the team or when you run into injuries like you understandably so well in the playoffs. So for Andrew Cogliano to only give up a fifth round pick to have that extra forward is massive. Because now you have all these options in Abe Kubel, in Cogliano, in Darren Helm, in Nico Sturman, Logan O'Connor. And I just listed five players and only three of them are going to see the ice if the Avalanche are fully healthy. Yeah, so go ahead. Take it the next step further for us. What do you project if you were in charge, if you were Jared Bednar, what does your bottom six look like? It's it's exactly that. Lekin and Newhook and Comfer on your third line. Helm, Sturman, O'Connor on your fourth line. But... You got Cogliano, who could be inserted as a winger or as a centerman. So if Nico Sturm's having a rough patch, you put in Cogliano for him. If Darren Helm's not doing much for you, you put in Cogliano for him. And hell, even though he's probably the safest of the three, if Logan O'Connor's not having a good run, you put in Cogliano for him. However, you know this team's going to run into injuries. Cogliano and Abe Kubel are both going to play, and they're probably going to have to get to the 15th forward at one point. Who's that now? Dylan Sakura? Kiefer Sherwood? These are guys that are having great AHL years. Kiefer Sherwood is someone we saw in the playoffs last year. And all of these names, and we still haven't even mentioned Sampo Ranta, who was a regular in the playoffs last year. Granted, he hasn't had the best year in 2022, but a lot of depth here. And that's that's the name of the game for Joe Sackick this year was we need depth and we need to make sure that every line is an impact. We're not we're no longer going to have a line that's like Kiefer Sherwood, Carl Soderberg, and Sampo Ranta. Just the spare parts pieces like the the guy we got at the trade deadline who's a veteran mixed the thanksgiving leftovers. literally the thanksgiving leftovers mixed with this like young guy named sampo ranta who realistically wants to be a top six winger someday but we're going to throw him on the fourth line and we're going to bring in this career ahl journeyman and throw him on like they don't want that anymore they want options and they want to make sure that every line is effective at all times and that's what you get from having what we just listed as, you know, Helm, Sturm, and O'Connor as your fourth line with Cogliano and Abe Kubel as your extras. Those are not Thanksgiving leftovers. Those are pretty damn good pieces that can come in whenever you need them. Yep, a lot of fire, a lot of intensity out of that depth. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it's going to be funny when JT Comfer and Alex Duhook might be considered the nice guys on that uh, that depth group of seven <laughs> or eight players, right? But uh, let's take a quick second to remind everybody about our friends over at Total Beverage. Everybody already knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes. If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. So, Arif, as we mentioned, we just heard Joe Sackick's comments. Let's dive into those a little bit deeper. He had a few 
interesting ones, and I think the one on everybody's mind is the Claude Giroux situation, right? We heard that the Avalanche were not actually in the mix as much as we thought they were, but it was interesting to hear Joe Sackick's perspective of the whole thing. Yeah, I love that he was very open about it, and he wasn't just trying to hush-hush, that's not our guy, we didn't get him, I don't want to talk about it. He simply said, you know, he was in communication with Chuck Fletcher, the GM of the Philadelphia Flyers, because Chuck knew that Joe had interest. So Joe admitted in having interest for Claude Giroux, which, you know, you could have guessed it. Anybody could have guessed it. Why wouldn't you have interest in Claude Giroux? He was the big piece of the deadline this year. Um, but he also made it very clear. Claude wanted to go to Florida, and Claude went to Florida. Now, I need to say this one final time because people have been tweeting me about Giroux being this jackass that kind of screwed the Flyers by only giving them one team and then getting a lesser return and, you know, Owen Tippett in a first and all that. I don't know who needs to hear this. But if you are given a no-trade clause and a no-movement clause, you are given it for this exact freaking reason. Like, this is part of the game. You get the no-trade clause. Not because nobody's going to trade. I almost said no-trade close because I'm so used to saying Claude. <laughs> Not because you're never going to get traded, but because when you do get traded, you get to pick where you go. And if you played a 1,000 games and you've been the captain since 2013 and you're Claude freaking Giroux, you get to pick where you want to go. Not to be confused with Claus Drew. <laughs> Not to be confused with Claus Drew. Trade, trade, no movement, no trade. Claus Drew. Um, that's actually his new new name. No trade. Claus Drew. Uh, there is nothing wrong with what Claude Giroux did, and and if you think that it's insulting that he picked the Panthers over the Avalanche, like it is what it is. Like I mean, JJ, wouldn't you want to move to Florida right now? Like, come on. If you lived in Philadelphia and the winter was coming to an end, are you going to Denver where we had a little bit of a winter drizzle on March 21st? Or are you going to go to Florida and just hang out with, I don't know, I was going to say LeBron, but he doesn't play there anymore. Like, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, and he had a month of this coming, right? We've been talking about this for well over a month. We went back to our podcast from February 22nd to find where you were talking about Arturi yeah. Lekkanen. That was shortly after the Toffoli trade. And I edited that clip down, right? After you talked about Lekkanen, you immediately started talking about Giroux. So this has been on our radar for a very long time. So it's been on his for even longer. You know, he took his due diligence time. He did his homework and he made the absolute best decision for him. Nothing more, nothing less. I don't think he really uh, wanted to insult anybody. He didn't want to slight the Philadelphia Flyers. He just simply said, what's the best decision for me? This is it. This is what I want to do. And and I don't think you can really slight a guy for simply making the best move for himself. Exactly. And and I just love Joe Sackick's candidness and openness and talking about it and saying, yes, of course I had interest in this guy. But when I found out that he wanted to go to Florida and he went to Florida, like it is what it is. He moved on to the next pieces. It always looked like the Avalanche were going to bring in that next level guy if it wasn't Claude Giroux, Claude Giroux because like, who else was there? There was no other big forward names. Tyler Toffoli is probably the only other one, and he's got term, and he was traded on you know February 14th for a reason. But all these other guys, and Andrew Kopp, which has been a big one that ended up going to the Rangers, and Arturi Lekkanen, and Brandon Hagel, and Nick Paul, you know, the, the, the latter two both ended up in Tampa Bay. These are all guys that play depth minutes. These are all guys that like JT Comfer, but they, they score more than Comfer. I will say that. Comfer has fallen off offensively recently, the last couple of years. But like JT, if you need to put him in the top six in a pinch, you can. But these are guys that are good for 35 to 40 points, which is what JT used to give us. Now it's more like 25. But they're good for 35 to 40 points. But they're made for the third line, and they're made to play a pain-in-the-ass game 
that's defensive, that's on the PK, and that's just very aggressive and tenacious as one of those forwards that's in your face, like JT Comfer. So it's 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 the kind of guy they were going to get. It's the same kind of player Logan O'Connor's evolving into. And then you still have this offensive weapon on the third line developing before our very eyes in Alex Newhook. Here's a question I had in the back of my mind this last month when the Giroux conversation was going on. I never really vocalized it because I didn't want to send negative energies out there. But do you honestly look at Claude Giroux as a player that can keep up with the pace that this team, the Avalanche, play with? I mean, at his age and his mileage, it feels like I don't, I'm don't. i not 100% convinced. I know he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know if the speed of this team is what suits his game the best. I think he would have been fine because the Florida Panthers are a really fast team too. So I don't want to beat a dead horse, but Claude Giroux, like Joe Sackick said, he wanted to go to Florida. He went to Florida. He's not our problem now, and he probably won't be unless the Avalanche play the Panthers in the Stanley Cup final, which, by the way, is my prediction, is I know what you want as well. That would be so much fun, 20-whatever-it's-been-now, six years since the 1996 final. The Florida Panthers are fast, but I don't know if they're Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr fast. I mean, how many teams are Nathan <laughs> McKinnon and Kale McCarr fast? Brings us to the next uh, comments that Joe Sackick made that stood out to me, and those are the ones about Gabe Landeskog and the LTIR situation. Break those down for us and our listeners. So I, I love the openness of general managers with this LTIR thing. Because, you know, like we've always said, a player goes on LTIR because there is an injury there. It's not a fake injury, but if they do and you use that cap space, it means they can't come off until the playoffs. I've heard two GMs today. The first one was Kyle Dubas. The second one was Joe Sackick. And Joe Sackick said to us, we didn't go into LTIR. We're hoping Gabe Landeskog is back before the playoffs. And then later on, he said, you know, when he was talking about the LTIR and elaborating on it, he even said, he said, because we didn't go into LTIR, that means Gabe can come back whenever he's healthy. He doesn't have to wait until the playoffs. <laughs> like, they're openly saying what we're all thinking. And Clo uh, Kyle Dubas in Toronto did the exact same thing. He's like, yeah, you know, we explored the option of putting Jake Muzzin on LTIR. But we wanted to make sure that we kept his cap space open so that when he's ready before the playoffs, he can come off. Like, everybody knows what you're doing. I'm not complaining about it. You know, this isn't something that Tampa Bay started. This is something the Chicago Blackhawks did way, way back when they brought in, I think, Michael Hanzus, or maybe it was the year they got Antoine Vermette. But they brought in a player, and they put Patrick Kane on LTIR, and then they brought him off in 2015 or 2013, one of those years. So... This has been done before. I'm not complaining about it because, again, the trade deadline is stupid and it shouldn't be a hard cap anyway. So if teams are going to find a way to quote-unquote circumvent it, which isn't circumventing it because circumventing it would mean you're doing something illegal, um, then by all means, take advantage of it and, and use that situation to your advantage. And the Avalanche, I mean, if they brought in Claude Giroux, Claude Giroux they would have probably needed to do that. If they acquired multiple forwards, well, multiple big money forwards, Andrew Cogliano doesn't make a lot of money, they would have probably needed to do that. But now what you have is a situation where the salary cap no longer exists. So as soon as Sam Girard and Gabe Landeskog are healthy, and even Bowen Byram, hopefully he's healthy soon too, they can just jump right into the lineup, even if it's before the playoffs. Yeah, that's what I really took out of that comment is it great news for Gabe Landeskog. He can now back, jump back into the team when he's ready and get those in-game minutes because nothing. there's no substitute for in-game action, in my opinion. You can get him as fit as you want in practice and have him in all the drills and all the physical uh, stuff that comes with it, but until he's actually playing games, he's not going to be at his peak performance level, and so that way he can get into that rhythm and be ready for the playoffs at 100%. I like that situation for him a yeah. lot more. 
I like that situation a lot more for him, and I like where the Avs are. Like, I genuinely really, really like this pickup. And Archery Lekkinen is a guy who's sticking around. JT Comfer, I don't know if he's going to be around longer than this year. That's a guy in the summer that makes $3.5 that you might have to trade. But that's a podcast we can kick down the road, and hopefully we kick the can way down the road because it's not a second-round exit. It's more of a Stanley Cup final appearance for the Avs. But Archery Lekkinen's a guy that was making a little over $2 million this season. And you're probably going to want to sign him for around $3 million next year to be that depth forward to play on the wing and, you know, maybe in the top six in a pinch. I mean, hell, that's what we used to think of as Val Nichushkin. And now we're like, yeah, he's a top six winger. He's a fucking badass. Who's to say Lekkinen doesn't evolve into that? So, you know, the fact that he's an RFA, that he's so young and you have his rights for two more years after this one is really good news for the Avs. And you just brought up a name that we haven't really gotten to discuss in a while that I think everybody's getting excited for. Val Nachushkin? I, no, I no, no, no. We talk about him all the time. <laughs> all the time. But Bo Byram, we uh, saw yeah. him inching closer and closer in a non-contact sweater, which was taken off today wearing the full mm -hmm. black as most defensemen do. But exciting to see uh, Bo Byram. What were the comments from Joe Sackick on Bo Byram today? So starting with Jared Bednar, he said that he's progressing to the point where he can take off his no contact. Still no uh, updates in terms of when he can play, but um, I mean they're not they're not going to tell us until literally the day he gets inserted into the lineup. Like that's just the reality. Uh, so no updates on that. But from Joe Sakic, same exact thing. Just like he said back in February when he spoke to media, he said we're still hoping that he progresses to a point where he's playing again, and. Again, Joe Sackick doesn't say things unless he means them. He's not going to come in and give us this poker. He, he, otherwise, I'm sorry, let me say it this way. If Bo wasn't going to be ready to play this year at all, he would come in and give us the poker face answer. He's not doing that. He's openly saying that we hope to see him because he genuinely believes that there is a big chance. Doesn't mean it's for sure because Joe Sackick doesn't control concussions. But there's a big chance we could see Bo, and it's looking more and more like Bo is busting his ass off to get in the lineup and he's working to hopefully progress to a point where he can play. Which is big news because the Avalanche did just ship off two defensive prospects, right? So not only do yeah. you need Bo to oh, – not only are you hoping for Bo to come back this season, but you need Bo to be able to come back for a long period of time because he's obviously a pivotal piece for the team, but we also – having given up prospects, are running a little bit thinner on the defensive pipeline. So you want him around for that long-term um, role because he's he's good at it and we need him. But that being said, let's look at the pipeline. What is left after giving up Hellison and giving up Justin Barron? What do the Avalanche have to look forward to from the defensive prospect portion of Well, the I mean, other than the fact that Kel McCarr is still young and Bo Byram is still young, like you said, and even Sam Gerrard is still young if he sticks around and doesn't get traded, is Sean Barron's at DU. This is a player that they really, really like, and um, this is a player that, look, the Avalanche are at that point now where you don't need these prospects to come in at 2021. Everybody used to always talk about how many times have you heard this? Because I heard this all the freaking time because I lived there. The Red Wings are so good at developing prospects because they let them stay in the minors until they're 24, 23, 25 and make sure they're really, really ready. You've heard that before, right? Yeah. Okay, well, here's the thing. Detroit wasn't doing anything special. They were just so fucking good and deep that they didn't need Gustav Nyquist to jump into the lineup until he was 24. They didn't need... Tomas Tatar to jump into the lineup until he was 23. It's not like they were purposely keeping them down there like, yeah, 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 we'll play some shit on on the fourth line because this guy's not ready. No, they just, they didn't have a spot for them. And that's kind of where the Avalanche are getting now. They're a very good team. They're loaded with depth and opportunity. And let me actually tell you this. 
Drew Hellison was part of the trade for Josh Manson. Drew Hellison, sources and insiders are openly talking about how Drew was contemplating not signing a pro contract. Because once you sign a pro contract as an NCAA player, you cannot go back to college. He was really, really contemplating not signing a pro contract, even though he feels like he's ready for an opportunity to jump into the NHL. If he stayed with the Avalanche, because the Avalanche are so deep, and he looked at that lineup and said, when the hell am I going to get to play? So I don't want to say he asked for a trade, but Drew Hellison wholeheartedly preferred to get traded out of Denver for that reason. And I, I don't, I mean, I don't blame him. Yeah. He wasn't going to get an opportunity here. Bo Byram's young. Sam Gerrard's young. Kale McCarr's young. Devon Taves is still under contract, not going anywhere. He's, he's just not going to get his opportunity here. So Drew is off to Anaheim, signed a pro contract right away, a couple days after the trade for Manson, and he's going to get a chance to play big minutes with the Ducks next year, along with the younger guys like Jamie Drysdale. So Sean Barron's is in the system, but he doesn't need to rush. He can finish his college career, sign a contract, play in the American Hockey League, Stay there for a couple years. Really get going until the Avalanche run into a situation where, I don't know, EJ EJ retires if he doesn't come back next year. And, you know, maybe Sam Gerrard gets traded. Maybe they just need a depth guy on the third line, kind of like how Tampa Bay is with Cal and Foot now. So that's kind of the thing. The pipeline is getting a little bit bare, but it doesn't matter because your pipeline are the guys that are in the roster right now in Bowen Byram, in Kel McCarr. Yeah, well, if there's anything that we can tell from the acquisitions is that they're going all in, right? So uh, I guess they're, they'll worry more about the future in the future. Right now is about right now. Yeah, and, that, and that's the way it should be looked at. I mean, look at look at what the Florida Panthers did. I think we talked about this the other day. The Florida Panthers don't have a first or second round draft pick in 2022, which is in a few months, that draft, 2023 or 2024. Three and a half years from now is the next time the Florida Panthers are going to pick in the first or second round unless they fuck off and trade those picks too. I've been cussing a lot today. I'm sorry. I'm just a lot of energy drink in me right now. Uh, a lot of caffeine. But uh, that's that's like that's what you have to do when you have a team that could win. That's what you do. And, you know, this is what the Avalanche did for so long in the 90s and early 2000s. And this is what they're doing again. This is what Tampa Bay's doing. Tampa just gave away two first round draft picks for Brandon Hagel making one and a half million. Who's pretty much an archery Lekkonen level player, maybe with a little bit more offensive upside, but like triple the price. Obviously, the fact that he's under contract for two more years helped in that price, but that's what you do at this stage of your rebuild, if you want to call it a rebuild, when you are a contender and you are not you're not just like a bubble team that's like fourth or fifth in the in the conference that might make it out of the first or second round. Like you're a team that people look at and say, Yeah, they can win it all. This is the time to make those trades. Focus on the now. The future will figure itself out later. And if you really look at them, I mean, they're not much different from the moves Joe Sackick has made at the trade deadline in the past. He always tries to bolster the depth, bolster the depth to really bolster try to depth. support <laughs> the top guys. And this year it kind of makes more sense where before it was kind of like, well, maybe you should bolster the top guys a little bit more before yeah. you start thinking about the depth. But this year is obviously a year where the, the top guys have it figured out and the depth is where the attention really is needed. So for that reason, you know, I, while it seems to me like they're very similar moves from years past, they have way bigger of an impact than years they're past. They're way more aggressive versions of it. Josh mm -hmm. Manson's a big trait. Josh Manson is not a small pickup. This is a David Savard-level pickup for the Tampa Bay Lightning last year. This isn't Patrick Nemeth to come in and play number 6D. Arturi Lekkinen is not here to be... Uh, Derek Broussard or Vlad Nemestikov, where maybe he's good, maybe he's not. Arturi Lekkonen's a piece that's sticking around. 
So these are much bigger pieces. Cogliano. Cogliano is the level of what Joe Sakic has done in the past. But usually that's the only trade he makes. Now, this is fourth on the list after the Nico Sturm Tyson Joe swap. So a lot more aggressive in, in bolstering the depth. But of course you're bolstering the depth. Because who the hell can you acquire that you can look at and be like, yeah, he's better than our top six. Other than Claude Giroux. Who? And even Claude Drew, like, you could argue that he's a third liner. Maybe that's why he picked Florida. So, like, this team is so good at the top that anybody you brought in was going to be a depth guy. But it's just a lot more aggressive, the guys he's brought in this year. And the fact that he traded a few second-round draft picks, or two of them. He traded a fifth-rounder. He traded a young center in Tyson Jost, who's got team control. And he traded, you know, Drew Hellison and Justin Barron, your top two prospects. Yep. That being said... We can, uh, I think, give Joe Sackick two thumbs up. I don't want to give him a grade here because it's cheesy. We'll probably yeah. just both give him A's of some sort. But <laughs> I'll give him two thumbs up and a pat on the back. How about that? Yeah, I love the deals. Josh Manson already looks like he's fitting in, and uh, he's only played two games. Whether he sticks around or not, we'll see. But even if he doesn't, great pickup. Archery Lekkonen's going to be on this team for a few years. Andrew Cogliano, we'll see. I have no issues with the trades that he made this year. I very much like it. He thought outside the box. He did a lot of different things, and I love that. I don't like when you go out and you trade for a third-line left winger, and you're like, yeah, we're done. We're good. I like when you bolster the depth. I like when you think outside the box. You have the balls to trade somebody like Tyson Jost. You go out and you trade your top two prospects. You bring in a Josh Manson who's going to be a top-four D-man on this team. He made moves that were a lot different than we were hoping for but also the right moves. Absolutely. So let's see how they pan out. Starting with tonight, they've got a game against the Connor McDavid's and Edmonton Oilers. Uh, the Edmonton yes. McDavid's. The um, Edmonton McDavid's that have won five straight games. And uh, old friend Tyson Berry's back in town. And he was leading the stretch at center ice this morning. With a small tear in his eye, it kind of looked like. Yeah. He's yeah. like, and if only I was still here. Yeah. Saw him chatting up with Nathan McKinnon, too. You know, those two guys are good buds as well. So, uh what he's called T boobs or T brutes or whatever the hell those nicknames were back in the day, but uh, yeah, um, this is gonna be a fun game tonight at Ball Arena, and the first of three straight here Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Right on. Well, we'll be back later in the week to break down some more Avs hockey. We're not really sure when, but we'll play it by ear and see what news comes up and what news doesn't come up. Uh, until then, you know, thanks for hanging out with us on this short trade te- trade deadline edition. We actually made it pretty short too, Arif. Good job. Um, but yeah, very proud. We gotta we gotta keep going on this trade deadline day. We got a very busy day, as you mentioned. So thanks for hanging out with us, everyone. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Let's make hockey for everyone, and we out you.